We often say go big or go home. We do? We do. Because sometimes we smoke cigars that are full. Or as some people would say, big. Uh, perhaps strong. Intense. And when we talk La Flor Dominicana, we're talking about strong and intense. But the suave, or is it suave? Well, that's not necessarily their most intense. The suave, or suave, is a Connecticut wrapper. But when you go with the box press, it's a Connecticut broadleaf Maduro. It's Eat, Drink, Smoke. I'm Tony Katz. That right there is America's favorite amateur drinker, Fingers Malloy. And this, this is a pretty big pup right here. It took us a while to figure out the differences between the two because we had smoked the suave, or is it suave, and liked it. Thought it was a, for, for, for La Florida Minicana, which makes big, big, strong cigars. Thought it was a, just a nice, nice entry in that medium lane. And then someone said, no, 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 the box press. And we said, which box press is this? The Suave. Or is it Suave? This right here is a six and a quarter by 52, which means it's six and a quarter inches long. Always makes fingers Malloy laugh. And the ring gauge is a 52. That's the diameter of the cigar or basically how thick it is around. A 64 ring gauge is a full one inch around, just to give you an idea. So 52 is kind of the top of my range of where I like to be. And I am a mother blanking sucker. For a box press. I love the box press cigar. Two ways you can look at box presses. Number one is they created the box press because you can fit more cigars in a box. The story that we go with is the rollers in Cuba used to press the cigar so it wouldn't roll off the table in the wind when they were rolling outdoors. That's the story we like to go with. But this Fingers Malloy, we've got that Connecticut broadleaf, that beautiful Maduro wrapper with oil literally falling off of it. I, I, I have had less oil on a pizza. <laughs> um, it, it is, the wrapper the, the, the is not um, uh, smooth, it is slick. That's the best way to describe it. But in the hand, it feels fantastic. It does. Uh, it, it, so far, at first I thought it was kind of a, I don't know if you would describe it as a, a light draw, but the draw is actually quite pleasant uh it's very easy so it was like it was like almost too easy like yeah. you, were, you were bringing it into the palate and too, too much hit you yeah uh but now that i've uh, either gotten used to it or you know we just lit this so we're just in the first third uh it, it it's not that way at all it it the, the draw it's it's a nice easy draw uh and it's the the smoke coming off of this is big. it's incredible it's big uh you know it, it is a very mild cigar. It wasn't for me. It wasn't what I was. You hear Connecticut Broadleaf, and you know your mind can go into different directions. As to it may be a little bit bolder than uh, you know what uh, I was expecting. You know, a lot of times when you just hear a Connecticut, and mm-hmm. there's yeah, obviously a difference. Right, the Connecticut's mild. You, a Connecticut shade versus a Connecticut Broadleaf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, it, what kind of notes are you getting off of this? I start with I start with a big spice. I, I think it, it really hit a pepper strong to the center of, 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 of the tongue. And then I found myself um, getting a, almost a, a bit of, of nut cream, of, of a nuttiness, of a creaminess uh, going on that's kind of mixing in. But it did. It did hit uh, spice. And when I say pepper, I'm going to go red pepper. That's where I first went to. It's it's amazing. I'm not getting any spice on this at all. Are you dead? I, I must be. But you know, I'm I'm having a French press coffee with this, so I'm sure that's 
having an impact on my palate. Uh, yeah, but how? I can't imagine it's that big. And I mean, don't get me wrong, the French press here at Blend Bar Cigar in Indianapolis, where we record, blendbarcigar.com, it, it, it definitely has a, a stronger punch to it. But that's so interesting. You're not getting anything yeah, off. I'm of it. getting that creaminess that you're talking about and almost like a hay uh, note. And I, I'm, I, listen, I'm looking forward to having a red pepper <laughs> note hit me because uh, that, that's kind of something more of what I was, I was expecting. A hay note. Yes, I, oh. I'm. I'm. I'm probably. I must be all screwed up. I haven't had anything to eat today, so we can't play. What you know? What did fingers have to, to eat today? But uh, it, it's just been the coffee. You know, so I don't for know. as long as we've been playing that game, you should know the name of it. What did fingers eat today? Not what did fingers have to eat today? And what do you mean you didn't eat anything today? No. I, I'm worried. Look, Yom Kippur was this week. Uh, I'm the one who fasted, not you. I, I put on a few pounds. And maybe it's time to put down the fork. That's all. That's that's my new diet. The put down the fork diet with fingers. Should we ask what happened? I did, stepped on a scale. Did someone put a mirror in your house? <laughs> I came back from Vegas and I gained 12 pounds in Las Vegas in four days. How? <laughs> we should be playing what did fingers eat in Vegas? It, it was a steady diet of chili dogs and, and booze. So. Well, this may help the Lafleur Dominicana, the Suave, or is it Suave, uh, the uh, box press. Now, I'm I'm a fan of Lafleur. I like what it is that they do. Uh, it, it is not always a cigar in my humidor because it's just big strength on big strength, and I sometimes look for things that I'm not always looking for a full. I like a medium plus. That's really where I live. And, and, and breathe when I think of, of, of the cigars I smoke. But I love something that will give me a multiplicity of flavors. I like something that will grow. And as Fingers said, we're just into the first third. So when you look at your cigar, just measure it out into thirds. And it's the first third, the second third, and the final third. You get your notebook out. What did you eat that day? What did you drink that day? What's the weather like? Gorgeous. Yeah. Insane fall weather in Indianapolis, Indiana. And then, of course... You know, what are you getting from it? And the reason I, I bring up, what did you eat? What did you drink? Because those things affect your metabolism. They affect your palate. So you got to know. So you write down. And then when you have the cigar a couple months later, a few months later, six months later, whatever it is, you look for the through lines. What did you get the first time? What did you get the second time? If you have certain notes that are equal, okay, that's a flavor that I pick up from this cigar. And then you can grow your palate from there. So it really is that easy. Yeah, right now my tongue is awash in pepper. That's wild. And, you know, going back to what you were just saying, I don't think I've ever had a bad LaFleur. Ever. The the last few I've smoked have been the chisel. Right. And I know you're not exactly a fan of the mouthfeel. The mouthfeel is is horrific. It's a sin against nature. (laughs) The cigar itself, because I I cut the chisel off. Yeah. Uh, And the, the cigar itself is lovely. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. And I have enjoyed them. And, you know, we've done more than, uh, I feel like, a few La Flor Dominicanas over the years. And it's always been a, a great experience. I know people are very, uh, very into what's known as the Andalusian Bowl from La Flor Dominicana. Uh, I actually find that to be one of the lesser ones on my LaFleur scale and people are going to tell me that's that's heresy and I'll be like I'm cool with it you'll know the Andalusian bowl it's got the green label there but this has got uh, the more traditional LaFleur label in in the silver and black with the red backgrounds LaFleur Dominicana we're talking about the Suave box press or is it Suave um, uh, I have it here 
as the Suave Grand Maduro number five. That's how I have this. Now, fingers, is this in your humidor at $14 a stick? Well, it's early on in the process. Uh, I would be leaning towards yes just because, it, and for me, I mean, right now, because of the way my palate is, I would start the day off with this. <laughs> so, so far, it's a yes. Don't, don't you dare. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of these in my humidor, for sure. And certainly uh, on, on the Connecticut shade, there, there is as well. Now, this week, we had the chance to speak to the one and only Peggy No Stevens. That interview coming up. Peggy No Stevens is a huge name in bourbon, a really a groundbreaker in terms of women in bourbon. And she's actually on page 66 of our book, Let's Go Bourbon. It's Eat, Drink, Smoke, Tony Katz and Fingers Malloy. And we got a chance to catch up with this expert in bourbon and talk a little bit about what's going on. I can only imagine you're used to uh, maybe a little more prim and proper uh, when people see you. It's, it's, it's Peggy No Stevens. I mean, your name has has a bit of legend. Your name is in the book, Let's Go Bourbon, by the way. On, on page 66 of your hymnal, it oh reads, uh, Peggy No Stevens is the founder and president of Peggy No Stevens and Associates. Peggy was the world's first female master bourbon taster, Kentucky right. Bourbon Hall of Fame inductee, 2019. You come in just after George T. Stagg, but just before President William Howard Taft. So that's well, that's and, where you. That's fit. important information. That's important factual information. Now, it, let's start with first of all the name. The name No N O E is. Well, I mean that's that's a name of bourbon. Um, and you, this is an association. You're a cousin, correct? Well, yes, and, and it's fun. It's actually a funny story because there are a lot of no's in the state of Kentucky. And I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and Fred No, who's the current master distiller and his family, Booker No, et cetera, grew up in Springfield, Kentucky. And so even though the no's are a huge family, you know, I was kind of a city no and he was kind of the country no, right? And we never knew each other growing up, although my father had 11 kids you know, I knew I was tied by heritage, you know, to that family. Uh, so fast forward after college and I got into my first job and I was headhunted by a spirits company called Brown Foreman, which was the competitor of Jim Beam. So when I went in for my interview, you know, I'm all of 23, right, 24. And I hand my resume over and they were reading my resume and there was this big circle around the name no question mark. And I could read it upside down that they had circled my, my name. No. And so I got the biggest kick out of that because I thought they probably were thinking, well, what is she doing here? Why isn't right. she working? But gosh, Bardstown, Kentucky was an hour away from Louisville. And I thought, you know, back then it, that was like, you know, God's green earth to travel to. So I took a job right in Louisville and worked there 17 years. And then when I left Brown Foreman in 2008 and started my company, Jim Beam was the first phone call to me uh, asking me to be part of a big project. So I really kind of went back into the family fold after that. So your, your real business is the business of branding. And right. so often in the conversation of, of bourbon, it's the conversation of, wait a second, is one thing actually better than another thing? Or is it the idea of how you sell and tell your story that matters so much? So people can find out more about you at PeggyNoStevens.com. Right. Uh, but 
I mean, I mean, pe- people know you as uh, this this uh, pioneer in terms of women in bourbon, bringing women into the fold, and we see more women drinking uh, uh, spirits uh, than ever before. But um, and I I do want to get to that, but it's this branding conversation that I think moves so much of of the people we talk to because when when we talk about how how things connect and how things hit, it's this mystical sauce of what makes something work. So in in your view. What is the brand compared to what the bourbon actually delivers? Sure. Well, I think you you ask a very, very good question. And my first answer is nothing can replace great whiskey. Okay. You know, you know, when you taste great whiskey, you know, when it's your favorite, you know, when you go to a bar and that's your first pour. So flavor is a tremendous uh, part of the branding effort because you want something that people feel is quality, complex, etc. However, you know, that being said, my second answer to that question is bourbon is very much like art. Uh, it is in the eye of the beholder. And so when you find a brand fan of a certain bottle and they might be on allocation, you know, they may be what I call bourbon hunters and just have to have that product because of the way it's either been marketed or its exclusivity or the the background story of the master distiller or the history and heritage, you know, of that brand. So it really is what turns on the consumer and what they're interested in participating in. Uh, But they're they're interested in... They're interested in kind of what they're told to be interested in. If we were to, to for example, let's talk about the world of Pappy Van Winkle and the whole idea of, of, of weeded bourbon. Dear right. Lord, you tell somebody you've got a bottle of Pappy. They've never tried it. They don't know if they like it, but they know they must have it. But if exactly. you tell them you have a bottle of Weller, they'll be like, wait, which one is that? Still a weeded bourbon, but they're not 100% sure. I happen to have uh, two bottles of Weller 12 in my collection. We'll both be gone soon enough. So, so how does when when I, I agree about well, it's got to be good juice. But how yeah. does a bourbon brand get created? Is it through mythology, or is it through connection to the right people, like Fred Minnick, or or, or yourself, or others who say, you know what, this kids is taste maker really that important in this world? Well, I think to answer that question is there's not just one thing that a brand does. If a brand does its job. It's looked at every what I call channel, you know, from social media to print advertising to executing great events and tasting experiences to working with their distributor in a liquor store, um, you know, in, at the retail level, great displays, you know. So there's not just one thing. But at the same time, it, it goes back to what I said on my first answer was exclusivity is very attractive, to people who really love bourbon. And so I always challenge people to say, listen, there are great bourbons that may be very pricey or maybe not so pricey. Why don't you do a blind tasting of both and see if you can tell the difference? And that to me, the proof is in the pudding. Scarcity has has long been uh, a a wonderful way to sell that that exclus- exclusivity conversation, as you're saying. Right. Um, right. The bourbon industry in general practices this. It, it's clear they could give us more of name name the bourbon, but choose not to. Right, exactly. And then also, 
you know, our craft industry, you know, which has exploded. And I know Indianapolis, I, I do some things with Hotel Tango and, you know, you all are really exploding on to the distilling scene. Uh, so I think that some of the smaller craft distilleries, they really don't have a lot of production yet, you know, because they're just growing. And so that's why they become exclusive. And when the buzz goes around, hey, a new craft brand's out, you've got to try it. You know, I think that has a lot to do with it, too. And it doesn't hurt, you know, when I do a, a whiskey review in American Whiskey Magazine, because I do about 100 reviews a year on products. And, you know, when we give that rating uh, and those are all blind tastings, they are not paid for advertising. You know, when that hits the liquor store, people ask for it. So just like the wine world, you know, people want to know that, yeah, this has been kind of pre-approved. This is Peggy No Stevens right here. She's author of the book, Which Fork Do I Use With My Bourbon, which is a fantastic name for a book. By the way, you can get that at Amazon.com. Which fork do I use uh, with my bourbon? We've got more. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. So in our conversation with Peggy No Stevens, who is a name of names in bourbon, it's Eat, Drink, Smoke. I'm Tony Katz. That right there is America's favorite amateur drinker, Fingers Malloy. Find everything at Eat, Drink, Smoke Show. Dot com. Peggy No Stevens is in our book, Let's Go Bourbon. She's on page 66. You can get that at Amazon.com. Great, great book for Christmas. Uh, she's also somebody who not only is a master bourbon taster and the first uh, uh, woman to do so, she's big on branding and works with a lot of big bourbon names in how you create a brand. And it was so interesting to talk to her about brands she thinks is doing it right, and you'll hear about it here one of the ones she talked about, one of the brands she talked about, Fingers, is uh, Blue Run. Yes. Blue Run Bourbon, which I actually tried just a day before Peggy and I uh, spoke. And so we're going to bring it to the show. We're going to review that bourbon here uh, today. Uh, but talked with Peggy No Stevens. And no, by the way, that's Booker No. That's, that, that is a name in bourbon. Uh, N-O-E is the last name. Uh, about branding and how one creates a good bourbon brand. Now, let's get into your other book here, Professional Presence, yes. a four-part guide for building your personal brand. You can get that at Amazon.com, wherever fine books right. are sold. Uh, this is, again, part of your concepts and your conversations about brand building. In the world of social media, there are a million people putting out videos and ideas about brand build. The most famous of those right now is probably Gary Vaynerchuk uh, 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 of Vayner Media and the things that he has done, Wine Library, et cetera. Not, not to give away uh, the, the the book right there, but what what is the guide? You know, we're, we're I'm a guy who has built a, a brand uh, known known for the political world and, and known uh, for the cigars and, and for what I do right. here at, at Eat, Drink, Smoke. Eat, Drink, Smoke is a brand that's known for not being the hard-edged review kind of site. We're not ranking things by points. We rank it by whether or not at the price is it in your liquor cabinet. Is it in our liquor cabinet? That's right. how we do it. The same thing with cigars. It's a little more uh, friendly uh, approach, a little more accessible uh, approach. But when you're talking about brands, and you, this is true for individuals who are creating yeah. content. This is true for people in the world of, of bourbon. What, what, is your, what is your step number one? What is your first conversation with people regarding how to build a brand? You know, the first thing that I ask them is, what are you going for? You know, I have so many people that will come to me and say, oh, I really need to improve my professional presence, my personal brand. I'm starting a company or we're starting a, a, a new brand and we need to package it. And I'll say, well, what are you going for? 
And they always look at me kind of stunned. Well, what do you mean? Aren't you supposed to tell us all the answers? And I'm like, no, I mean, be clear on what you want people to think of you. And it's so funny because it's fundamental and it's right in front of their face. But a lot of times we don't take the time to think about what is the perception that we want to give. And we're not clear on how to give that. So a question I would ask when I'm conducting, you know, a, a session with a bunch of professional individuals that say build my personal brand, you know, I'll say, put, get a get a pencil or a pen and write down the first five descriptors that you think of yourself. And they, oh, easy. And they start to write it and they stop. Some people get to two, some people get to three. And if you can't describe yourself, if you can't describe your brand, how are other people going to describe you? You know, what message are you doing? If, if you want an exercise in that, that is painful, write your own biography. 100%. It is painful. And Brutal. even today, you know, I, I, and I appreciate you giving me accolades for the things that I've done in the past. But sometimes it's really hard for me to say, yes, I was the first female master bourbon taster or yes, I should get credit for X, Y, Z. Uh, so you have to really pull it out of people and be proud of your accomplishments. But at the same time, how do you want people to describe you? So, so I mean, that's the idea of brand promotion versus self-promotion. And people find it to be ugly. It's ew, ew, David, right. to, to quote Schitt's Creek about, you know, wanting to engage in self-promotion. But it's an extremely important thing to do, especially when you what you really want to do is promote what it is you provide as a brand, right? That's the, isn't that the objective? Exactly. And that's where there's this fine line to building a brand and trying to sell that brand and then being tone deaf because you really didn't listen to your consumer once, or you really didn't define your brand. So you missed the mark, you know, on, on trying to connect with that particular audience. And so that's why I think the strategic side, even with yourself, you have to be strategic on how you represent yourself, what you want to say, you know, the, the things you want to do to, um, how do I say this? And Disney does it best. Everything about you speaks of your brand, everything, every detail. And they call it a thousand small gestures. And your right. brand is a thousand small gestures. So before I, I, I let you go, because I've taken up way too much uh, of your time, you can find everything about Peggy at PeggyNoStevens.com. You can get the books at Amazon.com. Um, I have, when I get asked about cigars, I, I think that the two or two of the hottest cigar brands right now is what Placencia is, is doing across the whole lineup and what Espinosa Cigars is doing, not just their, their um, collaboration with Guy Fieri, a, a food network, but just a, a, just a remarkable lineup where everything you smoke is like, okay, there's something here. Of value, so I only brought up two, so I'm only going to ask you for two, Peggy. Um, the two bourbons right now, the two bourbon brands right yeah. now that you think are doing it right, from how they share their story to the actual juice yeah. itself. Sure. Uh, well, one that comes to mind that I'm a big fan because I think they're very sincere in their message. Because I've met the owners, I've seeing, you know, how they promoted the special touches they do is Blue Run um, whiskey, Blue Run bourbon. Did you just say Blue uh, Run? So, yes. Have you heard of Blue Run? Had it for the first time at Rosh Hashanah dinner. 
uh, ah. just, just two days ago. Oh, wow. Uh, with, with really? friends, it was absolutely tremendous. It, and it's this, it's a very high rye bourbon. Very high rye. And, and, but it doesn't play, it doesn't play overly spicy. It was a delicious delicious mix and the bottle with the with the butterfly that that multicolor right. gorgeous gorgeous look i mean they're hitting all the buttons you know from packaging uh jim rutledge who's a famous master distiller helped them create that product uh so they've got the right flavor profiles and then they're very conscious of you know social issues they're very conscious of you know really connecting uh with the whiskey industry through social media so i'm a big fan i'm a big fan I'm also a big fan of Wilderness Trail, uh, if you've heard of that. And uh, Wilderness Trail, they are yeast experts. So right. they have the most interesting, um, you know, display of quality because they've perfected the yeast and fermentation pieces. And it shows their sweet mash bourbon. And so um, great people, smart people, uh, beautiful facility. And I just, I just have a lot of respect for them. And then, of course, I mentioned, I know you said two, but I'm doing three. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop you. Well, it's Indianapolis. It's Indianapolis, right? So I, Hotel Tango, I'm a big, I'm big fan of, of the people there. I think they've done a great job in their marketing. Um, and I love their angle with it, uh, their, their production uh, manager or master distiller or whatever they're calling him. I think he's great. So we actually have uh, done an episode from uh, the Ooh. Hotel Tango uh, right. uh, facility, and it was when they first introduced their 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 cordials, the, the lemon and the and the orange and 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 the cherry. Uh, and uh, Fingers Malloy uh, had a little too much of the cherry. It was <laughs> it was a scene. Uh, well, to, to you know, I never say you've had too much. I just say you were overserved. Oh 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 no, he had too much. I, I don't think we should <laughs> even pretend. To mess around with the uh, with, with with the words there. Uh, her name is Peggy No Stevens. Peggy No Stevens dot com, and you can find her books. Which fork do I use with my bourbon? And professional presence, a four part guide for building your personal brand. You can find that at Amazon dot uh, com. Uh, I appreciate you taking uh, the the time. This is the first time we've ever spoken. Uh, you know, know Indianapolis, where I live and breathe. Wells, we're here at Blend Bar Cigar uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana. You got to come back to Indy. Come have a I drink. Love do it. a thing. I would love to have a cigar and a bourbon with you. So there it is. There it is. You heard it. That's basically a date. That's done, (laughs) set, finished. Uh, Peggy, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. Our new book, Let's Go Bourbon, the bourbon reader you've always needed, is now available on Amazon.com and our website, eatdrinksmokeshow.com. Pick up a copy today. So Blue Run. I was unfamiliar with Blue Run bourbon until I was at a, a friend's place celebrating one of the Jewish holidays. Pulled it out. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. And I thought it was glorious. Then I'm speaking to Peggy No Stevens, the Peggy No Stevens, the first female master bourbon taster in the country, possibly in, in the world, I would say. And she starts talking about it as one of the brands that's doing everything right. So, all right. The world, the, the, the forces, the force, if you will, has conspired to say we should talk about Blue Run. And that's what we're doing. It's Eat, Drink, Smoke. I'm Tony Katz. That right there is America's favorite amateur drinker, Fingers Malloy, Blue Run Spirits with the Blue Run Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. But this one, there's a couple versions. 
This is the high rye. So a mash bill of 65% corn, 30% rye, which should bring a lot of spice, and 5% malted barley coming in at 111 proof. Always a round of applause when it's over 100 proof. Here's what I know. When I first tried it, I didn't think it was spicy at all. I thought it had a wonderful, wonderful sweetness to it. Absolutely wonderful sweetness to it. Blue Run, B-L-U-E, second word run, R-U-N. It is a 13-year-old bourbon. Wow. 13. One, three. That's crazy. And we're like, all right. We gotta give this thing a, a, a go right here. Well, I wanted to interrupt you. You, you really can interrupt quickly. me anytime you like. Uh, well, you were talking to Peggy No Stevens about branding, and to me, here's what I know: is looking at this bottle, it rivals Horse Soldier Bourbon as far as uh, the way the bottle looks. Uh, it, it's it's almost and it, it's just, it's 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 a subtle butterfly. It's almost like a work of art. Just looking at at this bottle, they do a really good job with packaging. I mean that, yeah, that they it's ha- it's it's a nice shape to the bottle, almost decanter esque, and it, it it's in in a, in a relief actually as it's applied is this metal multicolored butterfly, which it is a- absolutely a, a gorgeous look to it, really and truly uh, terrific. But this. I was impressed. I'm like, we got to give it a go. And everybody's talking about it. Peggy No Stevens is talking about it. And the nose of this thing, Fingers Malloy, does that, t- does that nose bring spice to you? Yes. Really? Yes. Yes. There's a spice and caramel. So there's no spice to your La Flor Dominicana Suave, or is it Suave, Maduro. But there's big spice in the Blue Run? I wouldn't say big spice, but there is spice. And uh, there's caramel to it. I'm not getting any oak. Uh, but that spice is there, but it's not overwhelming on the nose. But the weird thing is, I you know when we got this pour and it was set down in front of us, I could pick it up a good two feet away. And but now that I've got my nose in the glass, none of it is overwhelming. It's 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 very nice that 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 spice and that caramel. But you you're not getting all that much spice at all. No. Wow. No. Now, all of the high rye uh, single barrels were done uh, via Castle and Key Distillery. That's where it was done, and we've done some of the Castle and Key stuff uh, before. But no, I'm not getting a big spice on this. I'm not getting an alcohol on this at all. No. I think, uh, to me, that comes off full and and, and sweet, almost a, a luscious kind of nose. Not... Not necessarily any any level of, of big fruit, um, but all right, maybe a touch of cinnamon, maybe. But I get more caramel. Yeah. On that, I get I get a sweetness uh, there. Uh, we start it neat, and then decide to bring it to a, a cube or ice chips or just a little bit of cool water. Uh, Fingers Malloy, you ready for this? Tony, I've been ready for this all week. We start it neat. As we said, he will do the Kentucky Chew, moving it around the palate to get a feel for it. He's taking his first sip of the Blue Run High Rye Bourbon at 111 proof from Blue Run oh, Spirits. Wow. Fingers Malloy, where are you at? That's nice. Uh, that spice is there. Uh, on the tongue, uh, there is a slight sting. There is no warmth in the chest. There's no burning in the chest. Which is typical for me, I guess. It doesn't play like it's over a hundred proof. Uh, there's uh, that caramel is there. That oak really comes out. 
uh, on the palate and maybe a little bit of cinnamon but for, for me it's it's mostly the caramel and and the oak with, with that spice all right I'm ready he's going I'm, in? I'm going in I'm going in are you ready yes absolutely he's got his nose here I go with the blue run high rye bourbon here we go here we go here it is <laughs> your help ladies and gentlemen it's gonna happen any second now all right here we go all right, he's going in, folks. He's doing the Memphis Munch. And still staring at his glass. Now he's staring off. Damn, that's good. Yep. I'm sorry. Now, how is it possible that this high rye bourbon, I think this is luscious. Luscious? It is. It is luscious. I don't get any big spice on this at all. I do get a lovely bit of oak. I do get that caramel that's in there. It coats the, 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 the tongue. The finish has a little bit of that spice intensity to it. That's where I'm getting it now in this exhale. After speaking for, for a, a, a little bit, that's where I'm getting the spice. Man, that is tremendous. And it's so funny because I had this blind... A friend just poured it for me, and I said, this is, this is lovely, and I, I had never heard of it. I had not seen the bottle until later uh, that, that night, and then to hear Peggy know Stevens bring it up and to try it now. Yeah, this is fantastic right here. This might be sweeter than some people who would be bourbon purists would want to go for, yeah. but there is a nice little bit of oak that's coming from this. Well, that's what surprises me is you're not usually a sweet tooth guy when it comes to your bourbon. You like more of an oak. Uh, so it's a little surprising to me that you like this so much. I also love rye. I'm a, I'm a huge rye fan. Yeah. But sometimes the high rye bourbons don't necessarily work work for me. We've tried something that didn't fly. This flies. Now, I... Sweetie, this flies. I, I called you sweetie. I know right. you did. Uh, it must be, must be the bourbon. Uh, I'm hesitant to put this on a rock. I'm really enjoying this neat. And oh, I know it's hesitant? our job... I know it's our job. We have to all oh, look at he's right on the rock. Didn't hesitate at all. He's got a cigar in his mouth. He's pouring the bourbon on uh, the big rock. The way I tried it the first time was on the rock. Really? So I like it. No, I, I say play it neat for a while. Play it neat for a while. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't rush. Don't Listen, rush, I'm fingers. Just, I'm so committed to what we do for Eat, Drink, Smoke Nation. I was going to put a couple drops of cool water in it. Oh, dang. So how is it different on the rock? Um, I, I would say a little more heat, not necessarily more spice. A little more heat, a little more of that cinnamon. The question, Fingers Malloy, is this in your liquor cabinet at $90 a bottle? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Too soon? Too soon? <laughs> For me, it's a special occasion bottle when you get to $90 a bottle. And because of the flavor profile, because I, I believe it doesn't play, is uh, 110 proof or 100 and 111. 111. And because of the way the bottle looks too, and it's different, yeah, it's a special occasion bottle for me. I would definitely have it in my liquor cabinet. This this would be a regular pour. This could be a regular pour. Uh, again, it, it, it's, it's so beguiling in, in that way, but it hits, for me, so many of the elements. Blue Run is the name. BlueRunSpirits.com is uh, where you find uh, the, the site. Check it out. So I am very confused about what's going on with used cars because I expected prices to go down. I thought there was a bubble, and there's some 
proof to that. But then you take a look at the hurricane that took place in Florida and then crossed Florida, made its way up the East Coast, and you take a look at all those flood vehicles, and you know they're going to end up, unfortunately, in other places, which means a lot of used cars are going to head down to Florida so people can replace things and sell things and buy things. And then, of course, the new car market, Fingers Moy, as you well know, is massively problematic. But what I'm seeing is that there's this feel that the used car market will continue to head south, especially when we hear about what's going on with gas prices right now and OPEC and how that is going to affect the truck market. It's Eat, Drink, Smoke. I'm Tony Katz. That right there is Fingers Below. I find everything at EatDrinkSmokeShow.com. EatDrinkSmokeShow.com. I do have a friend who just purchased uh, an H1. Oh. But a military version oh. of the Humvee. And there are these auction sites where you can pick one up for $4,000. And I was showing it to my wife, and she's like, that sounds like fun. I'm like, you can't. Do you know the ride on those? The, it's not meant for civilians. She goes, yeah, but like at 4000 bucks, does it matter even what gas costs? By the time you've used it, you know, I mean, you're back up. I mean, you're paying now or you're paying later. Yeah, and you buy it for $4,000, you drive it for a couple of years, and you sell it for $4,000. Right. So really, where's the loss there? So the CEO of CarMax, a guy by the name of Bill Nash, and what he is discussing as you take a look at, at reports, wholesale prices went down 4% in August and are down 2.3% the first half of September. But they're not yet seeing that the prices, the low prices, are finding their way uh, to consumers. The demand is still there because the new vehicles aren't there. But there's... In my anecdotal looking, because I have no reason to look for a car, I don't need anything, but I am. Yeah, there, there, there I, I am looking because I'm saying, is, is there opportunity out there? And, and you know, we have friends who are constantly buying and selling things. They, I don't know if they do it for hobby, if that's re- if they're making money. I can't figure out the whole thing. But I figured that yes, it does. It did seem that prices were coming down a little bit because some things seemed reasonable as of late. And maybe I've gotten used to prices, but they did actually seem reasonable. But you take a look at what took place in Florida and these flood cars. You know this industry better than I do. Fingers. Used car prices going to go back up? I would think so. Just because, and it's it's hard to tell at this point just how many of these vehicles in Florida were damaged. I mean, obviously, if you had a car uh, on Fort Myers Beach, you you could forget. You don't about have it. a car anymore. You have a boat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's going to be such a demand for replacements on, on, on vehicles in southern Florida, which you would think when you have such a concentrated area of people uh, that, that need cars, the, the used cars are going to go down there and there's they're going to be paying a premium. I mean, that also goes for, you, you wonder what's going to happen with building materials, it, you know, because the, the demand is going to be so huge down in Florida uh, for, you know, lumber. and I can show you in Home Depot the stock, because I went over this with an economist, I said, does this mean now is a good time to buy Home Depot and Lowe's and those kinds of things? And he said to me, go take a look. The pop happened last week when they heard the hurricane was coming. And you take a look, and that stock went, and, and don't hold me on numbers here, went from like 312, 316 to 335. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it jumped up that much. Yeah. They were building that in. They knew that it, 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 was, it was coming. I'm with you that it seems to me that the used car market 
is going to have much more pressure on it because of what is taking place in Florida, that people do need to replace these vehicles, and they're not necessarily going to be able to replace them with anything new because those markets are limited. And now, if we had supply chain non-issues, if we had the chips, this is a much different conversation. Well, and here's what else is unfortunate about all of this. If you are in the used car market, what you're going to find is even if the prices go down, you may still be spending just as much on a vehicle, if not more, uh, if uh, unless you're paying cash, because interest rates have gone up so much in, in the last year. If you're financing a car, the, the, the price of the financing is going to go up. So even if the, the car prices, the used car prices do go down, you may not see much of a savings because your interest rate may be 3 4% higher than it would have been just a, a year and a half ago. Is it possible that timing will actually spare the rest of the country and used car prices will go down quicker because this happened in September? And it's only, I mean, you, we both know snowbirds, people who, who live in Florida six months out of the year, seven months out of the year. And if this had taken place in December, even though you don't necessarily get hurricanes, but the point being that you, you, you would have had more of a population down there, especially in the Fort Myers area, Bradenton, Sarasota, all those kinds of spots heading down to Naples, and you would have had many more damaged vehicles. That's, that's true. But you also find a lot of snowbirds have a car down there. Uh, that they keep down there year round, and maybe their fun vehicle, maybe their their convertible that they don't take up north. Uh, listen, I have spent uh, every spring break for the last nine or ten years down in the Fort Myers area, the North Fort Myers area. Uh, we've got family that has a house down there that was heavily damaged uh, from the hurricane, and you know they still don't have power in the North Fort Myers area, at least in the area where this this home is, and. It's it's just heartbreaking to see the damage and to to see the photos of the area where this home is and knowing that they don't have power, knowing that there there's such a huge uh, amount of damage in that area. You just have to ask yourself, this isn't going to take months. Will this take years for them to be able to just just things like for dumpsters? How many? They don't have enough dumpsters in Southwest Florida to take care of all the needs right now of right. getting rid of everything. Man, it's going to be a, a long road to recovery down there. So this now brings us to the SUV conversation, of course, a gas conversation. OPEC has announced that they are cutting production by 2 million barrels a day. Now, AAA and others were already saying that we're seeing gas prices go up which has to do with a, with a series of things that I think would take too much time to, to dig into. But the, the cutting of production of 2 million barrels a day changes levels of equation, changes gas pricing around the globe, and we are now seeing gas prices head up. The Midwest was already dealing with this because there was a refinery issue in Indiana, and it caused some issues in, in Midwest supply. We're back over $4 a gallon on the regular, at least we are here in central Indiana and true of some other places. And the feeling is we could see by the holidays back to $5 a gallon, which in a used car market, as people now need them, they may take whatever they can get, but they're certainly not going to be looking at SUVs. You wouldn't think so. You would think that the prices of those vehicles, the, the big SUVs, would go down. The, the kind of crossover vehicles, they almost get as good a gas mileage as, as sedans nowadays. But think about what you just said and how unusual it is 
that you're going to see a spike in gas prices at a time of year where it's not peak driving season. Right. You're, you're, you're talking November, December, January uh, in the Midwest. Gas prices at $5 a gallon. It, it just goes hand in hand with the other issues that people are going to be dealing with, with heating costs, uh, electric costs. It just It's going to be so tough to get through this winter for a lot of families. It's going to be extremely uh, tough. And that's why a lot of people are saying, hold on to your cash. Hold on to everything and hunker down. That might be the right advice. Don't take financial advice from us, guys. Seriously, just cigar advice. They call me Johnny Good News, as Tony likes to say. And the news has been so bad lately that it almost drives a person to swear. It's Eat, Drink, Smoke. I'm Fingers Malloy. He's Tony Katz. And uh, Tony, you know, I, I just... What good news have you ever brought? <laughs> uh, you're hurting my feelings. I'm sorry, Boo Bear. So the New York Post has a story... And I wanted to bring this up because we are almost completely through the show this week, and we haven't had one list, which would be a record for us. I don't think it's I don't think it's possible that Eat Drink Smoke has an episode without a list. And so the New York Post had this list. Uh, there was a study done uh, that revealed uh, the cities in the United States uh, most likely to regularly swear. You mean curse? Is it swearing or is it cursing? Well, according to the New York Post. It's swearing. Now, is this the same thing as the difference between soda and pop? Which is to say, it's soda and not pop. Well, of course it's pop. It's cursing, not swearing. Is this what we're going to do? We're going to argue over swearing versus cursing? I'm just telling you, letting you know what it is. I think it's important that everybody knows. A new study has revealed the cities in the United States most likely to regularly swear. Right. It's the swearing cities. Yes. And the, I, the cities where they say things like, and don't forget, <laughs> oh gosh, I really hope we bleep that out in post. Right? And I have to say right off the bat, Tony, this list is bogus. Oh, really? Not one city in New Jersey made the list. Oh, that's a bunch of you know what. Yeah. Nothing in New York. What? Uh, yeah. How did any family reunions take place? Should I, should I stop? start at the bottom of the list or the top of the list? I start at the bottom of the list. Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas, uh, 21, according to this list, number of swears per day. That people say? Yes, per person. Per person? Yeah, why not? <laughs> 21? 21. They're tied with Los Angeles, California. Now, you lived in L.A. for a while. Uh, were people cursing on the streets left and right in, in Los Angeles that you remember? Uh, I lived in a bit of the suburbs, so not not necessarily i don't i don't recall a lot of cursing mainly because the weather's perfect you're like this is amazing what about on the 405 oh yeah but you couldn't hear those people cuz they were in their cars <laughs> they were in their car it, it, that if you considered that oh please number 1 on the list as we move up the list washington dc 22 swears a day and that's just in congress <laughs> I would think that people outside of Washington, D.C. swear more about Congress than the people in D.C. That is correct. That is correct. Now, here's where it gets interesting, because this is surprising to me. Next on the list, Louisville. That, you said it right, too. Louisville. Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky, 24 swears a day. Huh. I, I figured they had enough bourbon to make them happy. They don't need to. Uh, that's what I would think as well. Now, this is where it gets weird. They split up Fort Worth and uh, Dallas. So Fort Worth is next with 24 swears a day. They, they tie uh, Louisville along with San Francisco. They're all at 24. Yeah, but the San Francisco one has gone up, and the swearing increases depending on how much poop you step in. 
Which is a problem in San Francisco. Well, especially if you don't have the app that will let you know. The app, there's an app that lets you know where there's uh, human feces. Yes. I swear to you, we live in awful times, but great times. What a world we live in. Uh, this, I'm shocked. Next on the list, Indianapolis, Indiana. That's a bunch of... M- we took that out in post as, as well. Indy, our beloved Indy, where we live and breathe, where we record in Indianapolis at Blend Bar Cigar, blendbarcigar.com. They wow. S- according to this study, uh, people in Indianapolis swear more than people in Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles, California. Because we're swearing about those places. We're swearing about D.C. for what they do to us, and then we're swearing about Los Angeles because why are these Californians moving here? <laughs> yeah. We didn't ask for this. We don't want this. And we're tied, Tony, with Philadelphia. Do you, do you buy this? No, the list is bunk. Throw it out. Move on to something else. <laughs> this, this list is wholesale garbage. Yep. Uh, according to this list, Dallas, Philadelphia, and Indianapolis, oh, and, and Oklahoma City are all tied at 25 swears a day. The people of Tulsa who listen on KRMG absolutely believe that. They'll tell you those Oklahoma City folk, man, they're cursing all the time. I, Oklahoma City, <laughs> Oklahoma City, that that shocked me. But, you know, so does does Indianapolis for that matter. But 25 I, times a day? 25 times Do a I day. Do I curse 25 times a day? Yes. Mm, uh, you know what? Only when we're doing the show. During the breaks. Oh, people, have you heard the breaks? It could be a show. It would be a show of its own. own. Yeah. Absolutely true. Jacksonville, Florida at number three. 28 swears a day. Jacksonville? What, what are you swearing about in Jacksonville? Other than the Jaguars, what, what could you possibly? Well, well, Jaguars are doing at least better. Maybe that's it. Maybe it was all Jaguar swearing. Jaguar. Ja- Jaguar. 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 Swearing. Number two. Totally makes sense. I'm surprised if it's not a Jersey town, if it's not New York City, it would have to be this at number one, I would think. But it's number two, Las Vegas. You're, you're in the casino. Yeah. Bad things happen. Next thing you know, the foul language. It's everywhere. So that And you when you're losing a video oh, poker. Good Lord. I can't begin to describe to you just how bad of an experience I had in Las Vegas the last time. I was there. The amount of swears that came out of my face uh, at the casino, and it was it not uh, what at, not at any point during my trip, my four day trip was he I can't ahead. even talk. Oh, oh he I'm, can't even talk. He I'm censoring so myself because I was going to start swearing. Uh, at no point the entire trip was I ahead. I was behind uh, the the second I got there, and it, I never played catch up at all. It was four days of losing, 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 losing. So losing. why don't we pick a weekend? We'll go. Okay. We'll go. We'll gamble up a night. We'll come back. You'll, you'll <laughs> catch all right up. Catch, you'll make a couple of bucks. Sure. You know what I mean? Now, number one on the list. Number one. 36 swears per day. Columbus, Ohio. That's Ohio State University, right? Yeah. See? No, they win the Big Ten like every year in football. Yeah, but they're talking about Michigan, and they're pretty angry. <laughs> Wow. Are you saying Michigan brings out the anger in people? Uh, I think Michigan brings out the anger in everybody. You're a Detroit Lions fan. Oh, well, Does Michigan bring out the anger in No, you? the Detroit Lions. How, how's your team the- doing, by the way? It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. They have the best offense in the league through four weeks, scoring-wise. Their defense is historically bad. And because of that, they're 1-3. Scor- they, they scored 45 points last week. And they lost 48 to 45 to the Seahawks. The Seahawks, Tony, they're terrible. 
They only scored 16 points a game going into that game. They put up 48 against Detroit. That's how bad the defense is. I'm as frustrated as a Colts fan right now. Ah, Colts fans are frustrated. Man, I, look, I, I don't. There's there got there's going to be some firings. Uh, offensive line coach. Some things have got to change uh, uh, on that team. Uh, I what they haven't answered in this list of swears is the following: What constitutes a swear or a cursing? Actually, what constitutes cursing? That's the question. Should, is George Carlin around for us to ask that question? He is. He is not. Oh. It turns out. Uh, um, George Carlin has has passed away. And by the way, they did. Who do people swear at? Uh, parents are at one percent. Siblings three percent. Coworkers four percent. Partners eight percent. Friends twenty three percent. Themselves fifty four percent. I can I I can go along with that. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I can totally see that. So well, I mean. I think the list is bogus, Tony. You lived in Jersey. You're, you're telling me I, I would think that the, the, the swears were free-flowing in Jersey, especially when you were there. It could be that in Jersey you talk so much with your hands that that's where the cursing comes <laughs> does from. Does that count? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it does. Maybe it possibly does. The Blue Run High Rye Bourbon. Guys, the answer is yes. $90 a bottle. I hear you. Man, do I find that enjoyable. And this Suave, or is it Suave, Maduro box press from La Flor Dominicana. That's the, the, the brand, and the, the type is the Suave, or is it Suave. This box press is playing very, very nice uh, for me. That, 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 that red pepper spice hitting still, still, in, as I'm into that second third, still hitting on the tongue. Just lovely. And my thanks to Peggy No Stevens. Uh, you're going to be able to find more of that interview at eatdrinksmokeshow.com with this master bourbon taster. Find everything at EatDrinkSmokeShow.com. We'll catch you next time, guys. Take care. Follow Eat, Drink, Smoke on social media, on Twitter, at GoEatDrinkSmoke, on Facebook, Facebook.com slash EatDrinkSmoke, and Instagram, at EatDrinkSmokePodcast.